and to be like you every step of the way and use my friend Ben to bless us and encourage us fan it into flame right now in Jesus' name Amen encouraging to hear people talk about very real challenges in their lives whether it's a song about a child who was ill I think what marks us as separate as called out is even though it is terribly difficult and terribly painful or terribly confusing when everything you've planned and studied for doesn't seem to be coming out that we can say that we are putting our trust in God Claire encouraged us a couple of weeks ago as to how Paul would pray St. Paul, the Apostle Paul. Father, I pray that they would endure. I pray that they would not be wavered through these difficult times, that they would know that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no matter what the outcome, you are with them always. Amen. It's a challenge. Lord, will you answer my prayer, or will you have your way? But we can be sure when we are in his will. Amen. Amen. Right, well, we will move on rapidly. We continue our series, tongue-in-cheek stories in the Bible. My good friend Craig continues to remind me, and he's right, that these are accounts. However, I can't get out of my head spreadsheets and bills and columns, so I won't be stories. And the reason why he says that is because these are things that really happened. These aren't just something that was made up, but what I had to smile is this is a real account of Jesus telling a story <laughs> this morning. <laughs> yes. And why? Why, why did we honour them? Over Christmas, no, I haven't got time. Let's just keep to the points. So the reason we did this, you know, is really we want to make the Bible for, for a time that central theme. Well, don't we always, when we talk about forgiveness, which is in the Bible and of God, and then we go to the Bible and we talk about it. Or we talk about... Re, re, repentance and it's just a season where actually we're just simply going to, Bible, to the Bible and allowing it to speak for itself um, and we're reading accounts from there because it is really important that we're reading God's word we want to spend a short season making the Bible the focus of our teaching and not the theme or a point <clears throat> we believe here at Solio Christian Fellowship that the Bible is the inherent word of God 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 in the Amplified says this, All scripture is God-breathed, given by divine inspiration, and is profitable for instruction, for conviction of sin, for correction of error and restoration to obedience, for training in righteousness, learning to live in conformity to God's will, both publicly and privately, being honourably with personal integrity and moral courage so that the man of God may be complete and proficient outfitted and thoroughly equipped for every good word 
The passage that these verses find themselves in came at the end of Paul, warning that difficult times would come. He outlines what the people in the church would look like, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, boastful. And he goes on to say that all who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. Verse 12, ending in these verses here, 16 and 17, which is what we've just read. The Bible is central, is a central part to our relationship with Christ. We need to read it for what it is. We need to find time when we put other Christian books down. I've bought seven Christian books this week. The biggest book you'll ever see on theology, another book on the second coming of Christ, Revelations for Dummies. I bought two of those. There has to be times when we put the books down, the Christian books down, close the devotionals as good as they are, turn off the podcasts and sit in the quietness of our sacred space and simply read the word of God. So this morning we come to an account with a difference as we're looking at a story or a parable. So what is a parable? I didn't put this in the notes. A parable is literally something cast alongside Something else. Jesus' parables were stories that were cast alongside a truth in order to illustrate that truth. And I got that from gotquestions.org, which is, which is a really useful one. So let's come and let's read this together. This is from the New King James. We're reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. That's what that code means at the top, if you don't know. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Lord, bless the reading of your word. So what do we find here? This man was a lawyer. This was someone who was an expert in the Mosaic law. And he asked this question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. <laughs> Scholars pick this question apart, try and look at his motive, uh, you know, that he realised he'd got to do something to get eternal life. But this, this, li- this eternal life this man is asking about is something that needs to be inherited. 
Jesus does not correct him. Now, I don't have to do anything to get my inheritance. Something else needs to happen. (laughs) We won't go there. And I need to receive it when it's offered. I need to receive it when it's offered. It goes on to tell us that the lawyer posed this as a test. Now, looking into this, scholars can't find any hint in the text that the use of the language was that this man was trying to trip him up. The reason I say that is because actually there are other areas where it says, and they tested him because they wanted to trip him up. This actually is, is a real genuine question. The lawyer wanted to test him to see what his response is. This is a lawyer, a scholar in the Mosaic law. I think perhaps he'd been thinking about this a lot. Maybe he'd come to some conclusions and he wondered what the rabbi would say. I see that today. You figure stuff out for yourself and sometimes you come and speak to me to say, I wonder what if Ben will see it the way I see it. By all account, this was from someone who was, or at least had, been seeking to understand this question. Perhaps he has pondered it for many days and finally come to the right conclusion in his mind. He has settled it. Let's see if this teacher sees it the same way as me. Coming back to the question, though, this is important. This is about eternal life. And it is posed in such a way that tells me that we need to receive it. What can I do to inherit eternal life with Jesus Christ? What's the answer? Or a response. Now, this is classic Jesus. He has a wonderful way of turning things around, either by getting the person to reveal the real motive of the question or getting to the heart issue. Here we see the lawyer asking a question so he can judge Jesus' response. And I mean that in the best possible way. So it's not the judging. It says, actually, let me critique what you have to say. But Jesus isn't having it. So he says, well, why don't you tell me? Here's a really good way. You know, if people are asking you, so tell me then, what do you think the Bible says about this? Well, what's your understanding? He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Why don't you tell me? He takes the man to a place they both see as authoritative. What does the law say then? Because that's something we can both dialogue on. He takes him to a place where we can both now speak from this point. But you tell me what it says. Sorry. Now look at what has happened. Instead of the man assessing or critiquing Jesus' response, Jesus now places himself in a position where he can respond to what the man is saying. Clever. Yeah, because we're all caught out, aren't we? When people ask us a question, we're thinking, oh my goodness, what's the right answer? What do you think? Why don't you tell me? So what's the answer that the man gives? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus replies, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. You are right. You have located the right scripture in the Old Testament. He quoted from Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. We won't go there now. But he's located the right scripture. And Jesus says, you are right. And it's the same answer that Jesus gives to the same question in Matthew 22 and Mark 12. So the lawyer is right. Yay! High five! <laughs> 
I got it right. He's pleased. He's pleased. But look at what Jesus goes on to say. Do this and you will live. So it isn't just I've located the right scripture that answers the question. Do this and you'll receive eternal life. We can't just know the scripture. We must then live it out. We must then walk it out. Knowledge is nothing if it stays in. If you've been impacted this morning going, wow, then it has nothing if it stays in here. If God has freed you from pains in your hands, as God has unblocked your view of that you're trapped in your job, as God has told you that even if you're okay with leaving practices in your life through Katie's word, you just can't leave it in here. It's nothing, to be honest. It's just, hey, I'm, I'm enjoying now my hand being free. Well, you know what God says about the laying on of hands? Now with your free hand, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Matthew 28. Go and do likewise. To t- Timothy, let's come back to that. All scriptures God breathed, given by the divine inspiration, and is profitable for instruction, for conviction of sin, for correction of error, and restoration of obedience, for training in righteousness, and learning to live. Learning to live. It's not just information. It's not just knowledge. It imbibes who we are. It changes and shapes us. For that someone who is burdened, trapped in their job, that word today might have freed them. It has transformed their lives. Now live it out. That person will not go to work tomorrow morning the same way. Into the same situation, into the same surroundings, into the same people with the same issues. The work that was there on Friday will still be there on Monday, but something happened that has now caused me to live differently. It's not just knowledge. It's walking and living it out. It's walking and living it out. So where's the boundary then? Where is the boundary to all of this? So let's pretend the lawyer is thinking, yes, this is exactly where I got to. This is exactly where I got to. I do the first part well. I love the Lord of my God with all my soul, strength, and all that stuff. I do that well. Really? Really? Trust me, to do that first part takes everything within me. I do that well. I know the law. I practice the law. But I'm not sure how far to take the second and love your neighbour as yourself. I'm not far. So he puts a boundary. Okay, actually, so let's just go back. Luke 10, 29. But he wanted to justify himself, saying to Jesus, who's my neighbour then? Okay, I get it. I'm supposed to help my neighbour, but who's my neighbour? Can I put a boundary around that? And it was interesting, because if you look at the Hebrew meaning of the word neighbour, someone I have an association with. Someone I have an association with. Now remember, it's the lawyer. this is the lawyer of the Masonic law, and he would have read the law in its classical Hebrew. However, he's now living in a time in Greek was becoming more and more the dominant language. They still spoke Hebrew, Aramaic, but Greek was appearing more and more. The Greek meaning of the word neighbour is someone who is near. Just keep that pinned, okay? Hebrew meaning someone I'm in association with. Greek meaning is someone who is near. 
So back to the story. Let's just get to the story now. So what happens? A man travels on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho and he's mugged. Now I didn't know this, but apparently this was a known dangerous road. You wouldn't go on your own. This man was asking to be mugged. He was asking to, for, for, for something to happen. What a dumb thing to do. What a dumb thing to do. They would have known that Israel has gone on his own. This man is crazy. A priest arrives on the scene and takes a wide berth and passes him by. So we have the man on the road. The next character is the priest. Now, priests, even in the first century, were appointed with a paralineal appointment, i.e., their father had to be a priest and their father's father. And actually, the idea was is that you could trace the lineage right back to Aaron. Yeah, that was the idea. It wasn't just so that you decided, I think I'll become a priest. They have a pretty cushy job. You know, you had to inherit it right the way back to, to Aaron. They were the ones who could go into the Holy of Holies. Now, some suggest the priest didn't touch the man because of the law in Numbers 19 that said a priest could not touch a dead or dying man. We see that in touching her leper. You were seen as unclean. We had a prayer meeting Friday morning a couple of weeks ago and we were looked at what was stopped at the cross, what was changed at the cross, and what made it through the cross. Before the cross, you touched a leper and you were unclean. After the cross, you touched a leper and the leper was queen, clean. Do you see what changes? But here is this priest maybe couldn't have gone near him if he was a dying man. However, the priest was also charged to say mercy and compassion of God. Was this man really dying? The priest wouldn't have a clue because he left a wide berth. The very person that the man who was beaten up would expect to come and help him took a wide berth. Then the Levite comes on the scene and he takes a wide berth and passes him by. Then the Levite, who had a similar role to the priest but was not considered as important nor considered to be any kind of restriction in the law, passed him by. What Clark had to say. Priest and Levite are mentioned here, partly because they were the most frequent travellers on the road, and partly to show that these were the persons who, from the nature of their office, were most obliged to perform works of mercy, and from whom a person in distress had the right to expect immediate help and comfort in their inhuman conduct. Here was a flat breach of the law. The priest didn't even know. Well, he might be dying. I, I can get out of. I've got a I've got to get out of jail free card. So what could it be that caused them to pass it by? Religious restriction. Fear of ending up in the same position. If I stop and help this man, what if I get mugged as well? Could this be a trap and it's just tomato sauce? Yeah? And I'm going to stop and they're going to mug me. It's not a simple situation. I'm in a rush. I've got lots of things to do. This, this, this isn't just something I can go there, there, give him a baby wipe and go on my way. This is going to take time. The sense, though, is I want nothing to do with what is going on here. Then the Samaritan arrives on the scene. Just listen to this. In the ancient world, 
relations between Jews and Samaritans were indeed strained. Josephus reports a number of unpleasant events. Samaritans harassed Jewish pilgrims traveling through Samaria between Galilee and Judea. Samaritans scatter human bones in, the, in Jerusalem's sanctuary, and Jews in turn burn down Samaritan villages. The very nation the very notion of the good Samaritan only makes sense in the context which Samaritans were viewed with suspicion, hostility, and hatred by the Jews in and around Jerusalem. They hated each other. There was a deep, deep, long-standing hatred. The injured man is thinking, surely this Samaritan, this Samaritan will pass me by, if not take the opportunity to finish me off. That's that. But look at what he does. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Compassion, to be moved as to one's bowels. To be moved as to one's bowels, hence to be moved with compassion, to have compassion, for the bowels were, 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 were thought to be the seat of love and pity. My goodness. But it's that point, isn't it, that gets you. You're watching a film and you see something truly compassionate happen and you start to well up. I blubber at films. I am terrible. We're there and it'll be like, like this, glasses and, and cable spotting going, ah, <laughs> no, 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 I'm fine. I absolutely blub. The old film from the 80s, Who Will Love My Children? Oh my goodness, I can't get through it. If you don't know it, <laughs> you think what and all. But what does he do? He bandages his wounds, poured oil to help with the pain, and wine to clean and cleanse. He put him on his own donkey, actually says he's animal. <laughs> yeah. Brought him to an inn, took care of him, stopped overnight. He gave him two denaro. One denaro was a wage, a day's wage. Told the innkeeper to spare, no expense. I'll come back and check on him. This man that was supposed to hate. This man who, who, whose nation had been at war in some ways, maybe a passive Cold War for some time, had done all of this because of compassion. So I sat there this week as I'm thinking, so where can I take the story now, Lord? Where should I go? We could talk about our need to provide social care for those in most need. And we really do. The Bible teaches that. And sometimes my tax, which helps go to pay for social care, has just become a line. I don't even see it in my budget. I start my budget from my net pay. And even though it's wonderful that we have... I mean, gosh, the, the NHS really is incredible. Trust me, those people who don't have it know it. How me, however it's run, that's not the point. But it just removes a little bit of our responsibility and it puts it on someone else, on somewhere else. We should be providing social care for those in most needs. We could talk about loving your enemy, really loving those we don't like. Because who's actually got an enemy now? You've got people that bug you though. Really get on your nerves. Actually, a neighbour is someone Hebrew. I'll take the Hebrew meaning. I won't be associated with them and then I don't need to help them. We could talk about the cost of, that it means to get involved. But I want to try and take the highest level. 
possible as we close this morning. Who is my neighbour? Do you remember the two meanings? Remember the sense that the lawyer had already been thinking about this, wanting to do the right thing. Perhaps the lawyer had already figured it out. Okay, if I don't know them, if I don't hang out with them, if I'm not in association with them, then they can't be my neighbour. Do you know what? That makes sense. I can do that. I can meet the requirement of the law here if that's how I understand it. And there is a scripture to support it. Look what Luke says. Remember what's changed by the cross? Luke 6.32 But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those that love them. And if you do good to those who do, who, who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. We talked in awe how people whose child, where's that song about a child who was about to, to die? Or was really ill? I choose to sing the hallelujah. Wow. Wow. I don't know what's going on with my job. Lord, I've studied all these years what's going on. I just want to repent and put my trust in you. Wow. Love your enemies. Be kind to the unthankful and the evil. Wow. Wow. Jesus always seems to take things to their highest application to illustrate. To commit adultery in the Old Testament, you had to sleep with another man's wife or be married yourself. It worked both ways, I think. To commit adultery in the New Testament, you have to think about doing it and you commit adultery in your heart. You see how Jesus takes, takes perhaps what the Lord did. So how do I work out this or right? It's, it's physical adultery. And Jesus, who said, I've come to rightly interpret the law, says, actually, if you commit adultery in your heart, it's just the same. See how Jesus takes it up? You see how the man took the Hebrew definition of association, which actually was to meant the whole nation of Israel, not just his mates. Yeah, it's not that they interpreted it wrong. It's that he saw it and interpreted it wrong. Jesus, no, no, it's not just about those who are in association. Actually, the Greeks got it right. It's about those who are near you, yeah? those that you can see a need. And actually, in today's world, with technology, our vision goes incredibly far. There are a lot more people near to me than there were 10 years ago. This might be unfair, as I've not studied it, but it would seem that often in seeking to keep the law, the priests and scholars, all, all of, the, all of the, the laws... Hold on. But it would seem that often he's seeking to keep the law that priests and scholars would seek to define things in their most narrowest terms. Because otherwise, how could one possibly keep the law? The answer in the New Testament is yes. How could you possibly keep the law? That's why Jesus came and actually was the saviour of our lives and now lifts us up into a place of righteousness and right standing with him. And it's from that place that we can live rightly. 
because actually without him, when it's just the law, it pointed to my weaknesses, it pointed to my sin, but it couldn't give me the answer. We could spend a long time talking about the wisdom of leaving two days' wages with a stranger. We could talk about the boundary that we need to put in place because otherwise there are so many needs out there I would not have the time or the money or the energy to meet them all. We could talk about the danger of opening our homes to strangers and welcoming them in. I get it. I really do. But Jesus here is seeking to take this at the broadest sense that he's challenging, that he's hard, that he's difficult. Just like singing hallelujah when your child is dying. I think it has something to do with the heart and allowing God to stretch us in this area. Let me take an example. You're out with a group of friends. The event will finish at a reasonable time and you do not have any plans afterwards. Someone needs a lift home. Scenario one, it's not even near to the direction you travel home. What are you thinking? What will you do? Scenario two, you drive past the top of their long road on your way home. What are you thinking? What will you do? Well, it goes right out of my way. I'm going nowhere near it. Somebody else will respond. Hi, children. Or how about this? And I've done it. I'll give you a lift home. I'll go past the top of your road. I'll drop you at the top. Is that all right? I'll drop you at the top. Is it really that di- difficult to, to turn right? Do you know what? I'm a bloke, so I don't like to go down a road and back again. That's a waste. I like to do a circle. Yeah, because then I don't feel like I'm wasting any time. But if I can't do a circle, then it's just a waste. So maybe somebody else will take them home. Hey, you Pat, you all right? This is about trying to look at this in its widest terms. And you know what? It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. We were doing the Caleb course, and rightly so, we talked about boundaries. That actually there has to be time when you say no. Yet there's a tension here, there's a tension here that keeps this in its widest possible terms. I've seen people try to work this out and to give things to people, there's a need, I must meet it. I've seen people get into financial struggle because they've tried to meet that need. Or actually burn themselves out because they're trying to meet so many needs. Or do something unwise by allowing strangers to come into their homes. I get it. I get it. But who is my neighbour? Who is my neighbour? What does Jesus say? So who do you think is, was that person's neighbour? Well, the man that showed mercy. And Jesus says, you are correct. Now go and do likewise. Now go and do likewise. These questions, are you really willing to help those out you don't know, don't like? Ask yourself this question in the home group. Are there times when someone does not deserve my help? Ask it. Wrestle with it. Talk about boundaries that are needed. How are you? How are you willing to go to? How are you willing to go to help someone? How far? I think that's you. How far are you willing to go to help someone? Or is my first thought to put a boundary around how far I will go? It's out of my way. I'll go past their road. I'll drop them at the top. I'll help them for an hour, but then I've got other things to do. What about boundaries? 
Is it always yes? Struggle with this. This isn't something you can just reconcile in five minutes. You could spend the whole of your home group just wrestling with this. So do I always say yes to every need? How do I work this out? Because Jesus seems to be lifting us up. But there's got to be some wisdom in the things I do. Wrestle with it. Allow it to pull. What about my heart? How should my heart be? And actually, answer all those first, and then go back and say, so what does my answers point to what might be in our hearts? This is about a heart issue. This isn't a rule that says I need to meet every single need. I need to go way out my way at every single time. You might do. But actually, what's in your heart? Because otherwise, you're back to the man, you're back to the lawyer who says, so what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? So I have to give everybody a lift home, even if it's not on my way, I do these things. It's, it's not the place to start. But what Jesus seems to do every single time is he takes the point and he says, I want to lift it up. And maybe, maybe, just maybe the answer is, I can't do that. And Jesus says, yes. But we can. Thank you. Have a good afternoon. Wow. What a fantastic.